0: Hello and welcome to the Why Did I Do That podcast, uh, an exploration of behavior in all its forms with a special emphasis on the applications of the study of behavior to finance and economics. Uh, For those of you who have been listening to the podcast or who listen to other podcasts, you know that very often podcasts start out with sort of a, a plea to rate and subscribe. And it has been my wish to not bother you, to jump right into the good stuff. But now I'm going to make a similar request trying to get the word out about this little podcast. If you would, just take a minute on iTunes to give us a good rating, uh, write a little note, and subscribe. I would appreciate it. So now uh, on with the show. Today's show is about stories. I've been thinking a lot about stories lately uh, because of a couple of projects that my wife has been working on. Uh, My father-in-law recently turned 60, and we also have another close family member who's struggling with some health problems right now. And so my wife very uh, thoughtfully put together these two books for these special family members, wherein she reached out to all of their best friends uh, and reached out and asked them to write a letter or a note or sort of a special memory that they had together. Uh, And then she compiled all these notes and pictures Uh, and anecdotes into these books, sort of a this-is-your-life thing that she then presented to my father-in-law and to our other relative. So their response to this was just incredible. I mean, they were overwhelmed by what my wife had done, but also overwhelmed uh, at seeing all these great memories sort of in one place at one time. And it's really had me reflecting on the power of story and has reiterated to me something that I knew before, but that was really driven home with these two books, which is we're not so much what happens to us uh, as much as we are the stories that we tell ourselves uh, about what happens to us. So sort of true to our podcast focus here, we're going to talk about uh, the application of this idea of the power of stories to stocks and to investing. So there are, of course, many reasons to be excited about a stock. You know, it's fractional ownership of a company, and so it may be a company or product that you personally use. You may have overheard a friend recommending the shares at a cocktail party, or perhaps you just want to be an early investor in the next big thing and ride that next wave. But whatever the cause of your excitement, it's likely that it's packaged in some broader narrative, some story, uh, the conclusion of which is, She became exceedingly wealthy and lived happily ever after. And the power of stories is that they bypass reason. They skip the brain and all of its messy calculations and head straight for the heart. So for this reason, stories are also the enemy of, I think, the behaviorally informed investor. So to give you an anecdote, I want you to think about how much you would pay for a single, sequined glove in a dated 1980s fashion. Now, if you're like me, I imagine that the response is not a, not a whole heck of a lot, not much. Uh, now, think though, how much would you pay if I told you that the glove had been worn by the king of pop, Michael Jackson? The story would completely change the means by which you value the item. Now, this sort of valuation differential is not so dangerous when it comes to 80s pop paraphernalia, but it's very dangerous when it comes to buying stocks. So, writers Rob Walker and Joshua Glynn understood the power of stories, of narrative, and they created a sort of social experiment that they called the Significant Objects Project. It was designed to test their assumption that narrative transforms the insignificant into the significant. So Walker and Glenn purchased 100 items of garage sale quality and had their writer friends trump them up with fictional backstories. So all told, the junky items cost just under $130. So that's $1.30 a piece on average. But with these fictionalized stories, they were able to sell them for over $3,600 on eBay. So again, the numbers are they paid $130 for them, but were able to sell them for over $3,600 on eBay. Yes, the power of story led an eBay user to pay $52 for a used oven mitt from a garage sale. Nowhere is the power of story more fully realized than in initial uh, IPO, initial public offering investing. So, IPOs, by their very definition, are novel. They're often focused in new and growing sectors, and the companies tend to go public at times of great overall bullishness in the stock market. So, the power of narrative, emotion, and fear of missing out combine to make IPOs extremely appealing to both professional and retail investors. So, how is all this excitement played out for the investing public? So Cogliati, Palieri, and Vismara show in their paper IPO pricing, growth rates implied, and offer pricing that the average IPO in the U.S. has gone on to underperform the market benchmark by 21% per year in the first three years following its release. So the average IPO underperforms the benchmark by 21% per year over that first three years. So despite this massive underperformance, there is no good reason to suppose that the demand for IPOs will wane in popularity in the years to come, because there will always be those stories that are bypassing reason uh, and going straight for our hearts. So the ills wrought by emotional investing are legion, but perhaps the primary damage done is by way of truncating our time horizon, making us forget what it means to be long-term. Long-term commitment to to a plan is the purview of a cool head, but emotion, stories, say, I want it now. Four Princeton psychologists demonstrated this conclusively by conducting brain scans of participants who were given two options, either a $15 Amazon gift card now or a $20 Amazon gift card in two weeks. The study showed that, quote, the possibility of getting that $15 gift certificate now caused an unusual flurry of stimulation in the limbic areas of most students' brains, a whole grouping of brain structures that's primarily responsible for our emotional life as well as the formation of memory. The more the students were emotionally excited about something, the psychologist found, the greater the changes of, chances of their opting for the immediate if less immediately gratifying, alternatives. It would seem then that an excited investor is an impatient investor and an impatient investor is a broke investor. In most areas of life, emotion serves an important role and should be given careful consideration. It's a big deal. Emotion helps us empathize with our loved ones. It moves us to do good in the world and can lead to some of life's richest moments. That it should be so fully expunged from investment decision-making is yet another example of the vast chasm between real life, our average everyday experience, and the rules of Wall Street bizarro world. So there's nothing wrong with emotion. There's certainly nothing wrong with stories. We all tell ourselves stories about the world around us and make sense of the world that way. So laugh, cry, love, and get angry, tell yourself stories, make sense of it all, but just remember not to do it here, not to do it uh, in your investment life. My name is Dr. Daniel Crosby. Uh, If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you will give us a rating and a little review on iTunes. You can find out more about me and my work uh, by adding me on LinkedIn, by following me on Twitter at Daniel Crosby or by visiting nocturnecapital.com, that's N-O-C-T-U-R-N-E, capital.com. Thanks again for listening to Why Did I Do That? See you next week.